Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, I'm Brian Hyatt and this is Rolling Stone Music Now. I have with me Jeffy Haza, and today we're going to play Jeff's really fun interview with none other than Rick Ross. Rick Ross has a new book called The Perfect Day to Boss Up, A Hustler's Guide. Tell me a little bit about this book, because you and Rick kind of dig into it a bunch. Uh, Yeah, I mean, so it's basically like a memoir of his past year, which, you know, it's been a weird COVID year. Uh, You know, Rick Ross has this kind of like very like major lifestyle, so... It's kind of a funny look into how someone like him even had to kind of regroup after everything that's happened. Rick Ross, it's like if you listen to all of his music, it's like, you know, this is the the quintessential 48 Laws of Power reader. And I think that book actually gets like a lot of references in his book. So, you know, it's him really sitting down and thinking a lot about, you know, what are ways that I can make my business stronger? What are ways that I can like keep my my family and the kind of things around me? in check like what am i not recognizing so you know on the surface it's kind of like like it's that rick ross bravado but underneath all of that there is actually a lot of like really interesting memoir and just you know personal reflection about ways in which he sees you know himself wanting to change and himself wanting to do better than he was before which isn't even to say that he wasn't successful because obviously he was and he's also on what we just talked about in a recent episode uh he's on certified lover boy I think that it's you only live twice with which also has Lil Wayne on it. Yeah, and that's probably one of the better songs on on the record. And you know this this interview was a few days or maybe like a week or so before that album came out. And we talk a little bit about Drake. You know, obviously he's cagey about anything that is coming up. But something that's interesting even in the book is that you know Drake is someone who Ross recognized very immediately had uh, the boss mentality. This sort of peak of Rick Ross in the mainstream was probably like 2012, 2013, but he hasn't really gone anywhere. And here he is on the Drake album. But we can kind of look back a little bit and just see what he he represented in in almost like the history of of hip hop. Uh, How do you kind of see his his role when you when you really take a look back? I mean, yeah, that was something that was so cool to talk to him about. Honestly, it's like, you know, he's talking about the first time he meets Diddy and wants to be a Ciroc ambassador. And you know, kind of transitioning, as you mentioned, in in those years when he was really kind of at the peak of mainstream culture. And even back then, recognizing the key to his own longevity was a much more entrepreneurial mindset. And, you know, he talks a lot in the book about in those years, looking for ways to kind of insert himself in businesses that he actually believed in and that he liked. And I think in doing that, he's remained a kind of pop cultural figure. So it becomes less about the music and more about, you know, Rick Ross, the figure, the, the figurehead for this sort of by the boss lifestyle right it's not dissimilar to kind of how snoop has this total permanent cultural life you become sort of not a caricature of yourself but this kind of like icon of yourself and you carry that forward into actually what can be turn out to be really big business and really lasting business for like decades um and i think yeah i think we're definitely seeing him kind of enter into 
you know, I, Snoop is definitely a businessman, but I feel like he's kind of singularly minded where he's just a big stoner. Um, Shouts out to Snoop. But I think Rick Ross really wants us to see him as like, a, you know, almost like an Elon Musk type of guy. One of the things that was really cool that he talked about was, you know, he has a deep passion for getting into movies. And I think that's something that we're definitely going to see from him really soon. As an artist, he had a lot of great songs. He had one of my favorite most deranged uh, rhymes of all time where he said, am I really just a narcissist because I wake up to a bowl of lobster bisque, which always raised many questions for me. Uh, but what made him great as a, as a rapper to you? Rick Ross is somebody who is like just so nimble with the way his mind works. I mean, you talk about this lobster bisque line and like the thing I think about from the new Drake album is like him talking about something about like fried rice and plastic forks. And it's like, you know, he has this really vivid way of describing things that are almost mundane, but cut so deep. It's like he's like Homer Simpson meets Shakespeare or something, you know. Before we get to Jeff's interview, I did want to mention that Rolling Stone has a new podcast coming out. It's called don't let this flop this week in TikTok, and it's hosted by Brittany Spanos, who you know well from this show, as well as by E.J. Dixon. And as the name suggests, it's all about the world of TikTok. I'm sure it's going to be awesome. It starts September 22nd. It'll be available everywhere you get your podcasts, so be sure to check that out. And now here's Jeffy Haza and Rick Ross. This interview starts out with Rick talking about his property outside of Atlanta. It's this massive property that used to be owned by Evander Holyfield, and Rick was doing some landscaping one day during lockdown and was looking at a gym on the property that formerly belonged to Evander Holyfield himself. Holyfield's gym, we found a lot of different things, a lot of golf balls, a lot of different, you know, I just found myself with so much time on my hands that I've never had in the last 15 years. So what am I going to do now? I'm in the yard. I'm doing different things. I'm finding things. I'm discovering things. I went and bought a tractor. I said, I want to cut it my damn self. You know, I let the homies trim the weeds and do the edges and I cut the majority. I know I'm cutting at least 200 acres myself. Mm. Um, you know, so, I, you know, I have a radio. I haven't even listened to the radio. I tent the tractor. I roll up five spliffs. I just find myself thinking more in silence than I have had to be in over 20 years. Wow. Wow. I mean, what was what was cool about the Holyfield example was, you know, the contrast between kind of how his financial situation ended up and kind of you being on his property now and looking at how you want to take your business and not land in that same place. Without a doubt. That's most definitely every time those double gates open, I say, damn, you know, because I understand the situation that I'm in. You know, this was this piece of property um, cost a brother twenty five million plus dollars. You know, I purchased it for five point nine, maybe. And uh, you know, from my understanding, that was seventeen people that was working handling the landscaping. And I go out there with myself, my tractor, and two or three of my homies, and shit, we eat Wingstop afterwards. You know what I'm saying? So I believe being hands-on has always been the key. You have to find a way to remain involved, stay hands-on. And just because you got some paper, the paper ain't always the answer. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that to me is a big part of the book is, you know, really talking about more than just money, but the mentality of, you know, as you put it, kind of the boss mentality. And I think that's that to me is 
the definition, the definition of the boss mentality. When you find yourself with downtime and instead of just, you know, sitting around, you write a book, mm-hmm. you talk to your partners, you speak with the team at Wingstop, you create thigh stop, mm-hmm. which we launched, you know, the, the commercials ad during the NBA finals is a huge success and so on and so forth. Currently, right now, I have 20 current partnerships. Mm. And, and after being in the game so long, I still find a way to not be burnt out, not be tired, not be stressed, still find a way to do. Imagine doing interviews for the last 15 years and still find a way to wake up and look forward to them. Right. And, and to me, that's what the real key to the game is with Rosé. I mean, and, and talk a little bit about that, you know, because, you know, it's hard for a lot of people to get into that mindset, you know. What, what would you say is one of the most important things about preparing yourself to, to kind of think differently and think in the, in the boss mentality? Mm, first and foremost, you got to be honest with yourself and ask yourself, how bad do you really want this? And what do you want? Mm. You know what I mean? I did. I, you know, I wrote music for others for so long. And, you know, I really loved hip hop music. I loved when I looked at the album covers of EPMD. I loved the album covers of Eric Sermon, you know, uh, Eric B and Rakim. And I could just go on and on and on and on and on and on, as well as me feeling like what was missing in my city, because what was most popular is when the chicks had on the bikinis and they bent over, go, 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 go. Oh, I loved it in the club. Don't get it wrong. But I felt like my vision was let's, let's get in power. Mm-hmm. Let's own Shit, let's talk about getting real money and being able to help others get money. And and I stood by that. Mm. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that stuck out to me was, you know, with the pandemic, live music being such a big part of a musician's revenue and you kind of seeing how important it was to diversify what you were kind of had your hand in. And during the pandemic is when I really got to see uh, that's when you separate, you know, the real ones from the fake ones, the ones who was really bullshit. And once again, asking yourself, how bad do you really want this? Because once the show stopped, a lot of people who was, you know, talking that big boy bullshit. That shit cease. Mm. They ain't show you how the TV's hung on the wall. <laughs> they, they wasn't in position to rent those Rolls Royces no more. So who was still making moves? You know, and, and this is not bragging at all. It's just showing, you know, the real ones that supported me when I said every day I'm hustling that I really meant that. Mm. We went on and, and purchased more wing stops. We did more investments. Rose was still making moves. I still had them dropping off my whips. I still was buying shit. I was still moving like this shit wasn't nothing going on. And I could keep going because I really meant that. And when I say let's keep, let's keep hustling, let's keep hustling. 
you know, just for my notes, I sat down and Rose got 18 current partnerships. Mm. And we enjoy them. And we could keep going. We could do 50. How? Let's stay ahead of them. Mm. Don't ever get behind the point where you know that your big homie or who you working with going to be calling you. Hey, bro, I've been waiting on that thing. Nah, call them before they even thinking about calling. Hey, big homie, I want this to be right. I need a few more days on top of that. You know, that's the difference. Yeah, I mean, something that I noticed in the book as well was kind of you talk about hustling backwards and you talk about you were reading an article about uh, social media influencers who will like rent private jets to take photos and how that's like pretending to be a boss versus actually being a boss. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's without a doubt. I would I would respect you if I saw you sitting in first class in Delta with me. Mm-hmm. And we was eating a bag of peanuts talking about getting real money. Interesting. We could talk about getting real money. We could talk about, you know, purchasing real property, real real estate, real assets. Because it's a difference when, you know, anybody could get on Instagram and show you something for two minutes. But let's show us that shit over and over for some years and continue to add to it because it's only going to inspire me. I don't take it as, you know, when I go to Puff page or when I go to somebody page or I go to those beautiful destination pages for a little motivation. I don't, I have no negative feeling. I'm inspired. Wow. I want to go there. I actually want to go to Egypt and light a blunt and just look at the pyramids and think about the brothers that actually stack that shit up that ain't have no, no goddamn tractors. You know what I'm saying? That's something that I, you know, I just find inspiration in that. And I think that's what keep me going. Oh, well, I mean, you know, something that that makes me think about, you know, as someone who's been in the rap game for so long, do you see some of the the quick rises that a lot of these more viral superstars will have that as, you know, not as, as permanent, as not as, you know, built to last as something that maybe you build over time and spend a lot of, a lot of years working at? Well, well, most definitely you see a lot of quick rises, but I make sure I stay out of the, the game of basing someone's, you know, uh, judging someone's future. Mm-hmm. That's for them in their craft and for them to decide. You know what I'm saying? And I feel if you earn that, you earn that. And I'm going to respect it, regardless if I know the music, a fan of the music or not. You, If you earn where you at, I'm going to respect it. Rose going to respect it. And that's cool. And uh, because I understand times change. It's much more platforms than it was when we came out. I remember when shit, um, what it was, what is what it was, my MySpace came out. That was, was that shit was mind blowing for motherfuckers, you know, from our generation. Wow, my box. So what it wasn't the one that was called box or some shit. Whatever that shit was, you know, it was just right now they have so many platforms where you could so millions and millions of people can be exposed to your work overnight. So I ain't tripping on that. Long as it's dope, it's dope. If if they rocking with it, they rocking with it. Something I thought was cool, you know, in the book that you, you described the first time you met Drake and he was very early in his career and you notice kind of the same sort of boss energy from him. Like you saw this was somebody who wanted to make it. Right. I most definitely seen that in, in Drake. I understood. Um, of course, you know, I'm I'm a very musical artist when it comes to my production, when it comes to sound, when it comes to vibes. You know, you know, that's one thing I've always been, you know, applauded for. And when I got to collaborate with Drake, I saw that he could accommodate all that, whether if it was harmonizing, singing, going tapping into the R and B, going into the raps, talking shit, mm-hmm. or some 
cool, laid back, real, you know, uh, vibes type of shit. And, and that's what made him, me and him, really click. Because mm-hmm. I had all the music right there, yo, listen, listen, come on. And he had all of the vibes that could accommodate it. So instead of me just having to call Ron Wisely for something at that point, I had Drake right there. You know what I mean? And so I think that's what made our collaborations super dope. Cool. I mean, y'all been working together for years now, too, at this point. Yeah, without a doubt, for years now. And uh, the collabs always been dope. The relationship always been dope. You know, that's something about me and Drake. We always applauded each other, appreciated each other. I remember he came to my crib with a brand new Rolex in the box and said, Rose, I just wanted to tell you, you know, man, and vice versa. Yeah, I mean, there's rumors of the album that you guys have got together. Yeah, it's still, it's still rumors, but <laughs> the, is it a possibility? Of course it is. I wouldn't even lie to you. Very cool, very cool. You know, talking about another kind of point that you made in the book, and you kind of touched on this earlier, you know, it was it's about, you know, treating your life as though you're the CEO of your life, and you do it. You are. You are. Mm. And doing performance reviews on yourself. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. How, how You know, you, you should ask yourself, at the end of the day, how, how well did I do today? Mm. Did I do my very best? Because that's that's actually the goal. You want to do your very best because that can make a huge difference in the end results. I want to do my very best. The way I hustled and the way I didn't leave nothing on the table, yo, I don't want to leave nothing on the table. That was my attitude when I came in the game. And when I look back at my peers and the ones who was next to me, the ones who sold five times more records than me, why is it such a huge difference in the way, you know, we live. Why am I in such a, you know, and I understand now, I didn't leave nothing on the table. It was a lot of Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursday nights. They sat at home when I was out networking and kicking it with DJs, fucking with the fans, getting new records broken in the clubs. And it really paid off, and it will pay off after 15 years. Mm. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. You know, I mean, even speaking of, you know, all these years, you know, 15 years in the game now, are there any moments you could look back on where, you know, especially now in hindsight, thinking of yourself as a CEO, thinking of the performance review of yourself, you know, what are some moments that you're like, I didn't do my best there. I wasn't at my very best. I'm extremely critical. I'm extremely critical of myself and the ones that I, I really invest in. So I'm sure it's a lot of that. Because, you know, a lot of times um, before I perfected dealing with a lot of different things, I would always accept the challenge. I would accept, let's go, let's go, let's go. Let's do this, let's do this. You know, let's do X amount of records today. And when I listen to certain verses a month later, two months later, damn, I could have, I could have slid on that a lot better. I could have, you know, and that's why when I think back to when I collaborated with Kanye, you know, not many people would ask Rick Ross to approach a record again. I haven't had that a lot. I'm sure uh, 
you could count on, you know, one hand if that's ever happened, you know, more than that. But Kanye actually, yo, Rose, this verse you did was, it was cool, man. But, you know, I I thought you was finna tap into this side of Rose on that left side of your brain. And, you, you know, when he go to talking like that and, and I looked at him and I just said, he's really serious. He's really sincere. He knows I could do better. And I took the instrumental from No ID, went back into the room, the, the studio next door by myself, and that's and came up with the verse that you hear. Looking at my bitch, I bet she give your ass a bone. Looking at my wrist, said it turn your ass to stone. Stretch limit. Yeah, that's the verse. So that's when when I talk about doing my best, being my best. You know, um, the decisions I make, you know, I make them as solid as possible. But if I, I'm not good with cutting corners. And whenever I do, I tell myself, you fucked up, you cut a corner. And the boss that I am, Kanye, shouldn't have to ask me to do another verse. That's my responsibility because I don't take criticism well. You know, that's actually something that's a point you brought up in a, in a later chapter in the book. I think about, you know, managing the emotional side of things and not being reactive. Right. You know, I thought I thought it was really interesting just the level of kind of honesty that you even put forth. You know, you talk about a few situations where, you know, you had the verse that had the controversial lyrics in it from You Ain't Know. Uh, and then you had the interview with, I think it was a Breakfast Club or Angie Martinez or someone talking about uh, a female artist on the label. Right. And in both of those situations, you kind of, at least in the book, you write about, you know, really stepping back and not getting into some you know, online war about it and actually being smart and thinking emotion and thinking about your emotions more quickly or more, more deeply rather. Right, right, right. Because, um, like I said, I've never been good at, um, um, taking criticism well. And when you know that your intentions are great, your intentions are positive. You really be ready to go to war and stand behind whatever it is. Someone else could have misunderstood when you know your intentions you know what I mean? And and that's what it was in both of those situations. Like, yo, let me be patient. Let me sit back. Um, I understand their perspective. Could I have, you know, explained this a lot better? Of course. Was Rose intentions negative or meant to, you know, defame or take advantage? Nah. Mm-hmm. You know? And that's what it was. And so I didn't mind speaking on that because, like I said, after you grow and you get better with dealing with certain things, you, you, um, you know, it puts you in a different space and a different position to address. Yeah. I mean, I thought, I thought that was really, really powerful. Cause I think at least in the rap world, you don't hear a lot of people kind of speak honestly about reactions to situations like that. And, and hopefully that's what this book could do mm. for the ones that come behind me. It'll show you, you can, and you should, mm. without a doubt. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it definitely, it definitely, obviously, brought to mind because this is happening right now. Just the whole the baby situation and that, and kind of how he's responded to it versus kind of what you describe in the book. And that's without a doubt. Mm. It's without a doubt. Without a doubt. Um, you know, another, another big part of the book you talk about is the the George Floyd protests. And you know, speaking of being war ready, you know, you you have this quote at the end of that chapter that's like, "You are praying for peace, but you're ready for war." That was just always my mindset. Mm-hmm. That was, you know, because, you know, the whole George Floyd 
that whole time frame, that was something that that was something that you had to really look in the mirror and really talk to yourself about. You know, this situation that we in right now, mm, this shit is real. Mm. So, you know, I most definitely, and all this went on during the pandemic. And like I said, everything that was on my mind, everything that I was speaking about, I, I let Neil stand next to me and gave him, write it down, write it down. Let's give them a whole nother perspective. Let's open a new door, the rosé, and let them see what's going on. You know, and, and when, when the protests and kind of the uprising and everything was going on, did you feel any kind of responsibility as a, you know, as an artist, as a major figure in the black community, as a, you know, just a very public? Without a without doubt. Yeah. Without a doubt. Did, did I feel it was, you know, my responsibility to tell everybody what, you know, I was doing or what, you know, we was a part of a, you no. Know, but did I feel some type of responsibility? Of course I did. Mm. I'm connected to my people. You know, um, either way, I'm connected to my people. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and I mean, you know, one of the things that this book made me think about is like when you come from a background of, of lack, rather, you know, not to even say poverty, but when you, you know you don't come from a background of, you know, a lot of money, and you find yourself very successful later on in life, I've always wondered, you know, how you kind of balance the two, like how you balance where you came from with where you are now. I really think it's just a natural space for me, hmm. and for one, when you come from, I like how you said it, a place of lack. And you didn't have a lot of assistance. So that's not a lot of, uh, you know, you really don't feel a lot of um, responsibility towards anybody else. Mm. So anything that, that comes is just natural. So what, what comes natural to me is every chance I get, you know, with everything that I connect with, let's make sure we, we show that love. Mm. So I still have those same connections to my city, my, you know, where I'm from, different states, you know, it's just, that shit just come naturally. And some of this shit, you don't even got to highlight. You know what I'm saying? Mm. But um, when you most definitely come through, like they like they doing on the crate challenge, when you don't took every step through the goddamn crates, you know the space somebody at. And you know when somebody really needs some assistance. And you know when somebody else just right over, they gonna make it over the hump. They may just not know it. You understand? So mm. you can't be a part of everything, but you, 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 long as you, you wish you could, you're in a good space. Cool, cool. And you know, speaking of just kind of the, the earlier days, you know, you talk about making the decision to, to kind of leave a football scholarship and leave that path behind and move forward with being a rapper and how it took a decade from that before, you know, hustling came out. Um, you know, I'm curious to hear from you, how did you motivate yourself? How did you keep going after making such a big decision like that? Oh, man, it was very rough. I remember sitting in the cheap hotel room watching the BET Awards, man. Tear running down my eye because, God damn, you understand? I know, I know the shit I'm talking about is they going to feel this, man. I rem you, you feel me? Mm. I remember just being in different, you know, positions, different spaces and Man, I'm not going to quit. Regardless, I'm not going to quit because I know this shit, Thomas. I know what I got to say. I know, you know, I did, you know, this for hustlers and, you know, the ones I grew up around. This shit is exceptional work that I got to sit on the table. And um, I just knew I couldn't quit. And I'm so glad I stuck to that. I stood on that. Mm. 
Yeah, I mean, speaking of the the hustlers you came up with, you know, you have the quote from uh, I think it was it was Mike, one of the kind of OGs, and he says you got to have game if you want to get work. Um, you know, talk about what kind of that that moment means to you. Oh man, that was just one of the many valuable quotes he ever gave me. You got to have game if you want to get work. Meaning, you can't sit around, you can't be moving like a bum, thinking like a bum, talking like a bum, and want to get in a room full of the most powerful people. You got to carry yourself in an exceptional manner. You got to shake people's hands firmly and look them in the eyes. And when you tell them something, you got to mean that. Mm. You understand? And you got to live on that. And that was just one of the many things that he told me over to, over time that I that I kept and I put in my pocket and I never let it go. Mm. And, you know, and, and one of the things, I think it's the next chapter you talk about watches and kind of how, how you're a big fan of watches because they... They, they value time. You know, it's like, it's all about time being something that you can't, you can't physically hold. Right. I'm a huge fan of watches. To me, watches most definitely represent our most valuable asset, which is time. Mm. Because it will, it will come a point where we all wish we had a little bit more. You dig? And also when you step into a room, a timepiece tells everyone else in the room what you represent, who you are. Mm. without you even having to say a word. For example, when I step into the room and I have on this $2 million Jacob timepiece that's titled The Billionaire, I don't really have to say much. That's for the few that may not recognize my beard and my silky skin, you dig? But um, it's something that I really, I really, I really mean. And it's something near to my heart. Mm. Speaking of like, you know, walking into the room with, with some powerful people, you know, talk about some of the first deals that you were ever kind of a big a part of and and what that felt like to finally be walking into the room on something that's not just about rap music, but it's about a business partnership. Different partnerships. Uh, me, me just wanting to support Diddy when he had a the Ciroc. Mm-hmm. I was in a club and they'll bring Ciroc out and I would take pictures with bottles of Ciroc just because that was a black man's vision. And I was in the club and I did that for a year for free. Didn't get a dime. And the next year, Puff brought me to his uh, office, sat me down with his team. And they said, man, you went so hard. It's, it's, it's almost like we owe you this. It was a seven-figure check just off the rip. Mm. And... um once again, that just that just go back to my hustle. Let's take advantage of the time we have mm. as artists. Let's take advantage of the time we have. You have time on this platform. Let's take advantage of this. You in the club anyway. Let's wrap three or four brands while you in the club. Let's get six or seven things accomplished today. You wearing clothes? What clothes you wearing? You drinking what? Yeah, you smoking what? You going where? Oh man, this we could uh, we could benefit or profit some kind of way off of this. Even if it's not financially, it could be other ways. But let's let's start those discussions today. Mm. Yeah, I mean, Puff is an interesting example. You know, wh- what do you make of kind of the the movement towards you know black ownership in a lot of these business spaces now? Oh, it's most definitely that's most definitely the space to go to. That's why, you know, I do what I do. I talk about real estate. I let the youngsters watch on my story. They come on there and talk to my DMs for two days after I show them I'm cutting the grass on my tractor. 
Rose, I cut your whole yard for three hundred dollars. That's on God. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I get so much of that, and then I let them know, homie, it ain't about the money. Mm. It's about us investing the time wisely. Let's enjoy this while we have it. Now I tell them, now go cut the edges and cut the grass on your mama yard and clean that piss thing that's behind that toilet that's been back there for the last few months. <laughs> let's 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 do that for each other. Mm. You know what I'm saying? And I say, put that on God. And you know, um, y'all something to laugh about. Yeah, I mean, that's interesting too, you know, you you because you described early in the book when you really were really sick with COVID and you you even reach out to the mother of your child who has, you know, you guys have had sort of a falling out, but you guys have kind of repaired that relationship. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, I'm interested in kind of like in the, in the same pandemic time as you've been thinking about kind of a lot of the business stuff, have you been thinking also about the family side of things? Oh man, the family is first. Hmm. The family first, you know what I'm saying? That's, that's the only way you, you know, as a boss and as a man, that's 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 how you judge first as a boss. That's in your household. If you ain't no boss in your household, you can't be a boss nowhere else. Mm. You know what I'm saying? My mother is the matriarch of our family. You know what I'm saying? But she'll tell you, my son the boss. You know what I'm saying? And that's the way it go. That love and that respect is reciprocated. And as you said, even with the the the, the mother of my 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 son. She's still my, you know what I'm saying? We still super tight. Even whatever little differences we had, yo, man, she know if she go get me some beef patties and a plate of oxtails from a real Jamaican restaurant, man, Roselle put that shit to the side. Put them plantings on there, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? We back cool, you know what I mean? And, and that's what it's about because family come first. You know, and obviously the, the Wingstop deal plays a big part in kind of a lot of what you write about in the book. And right. that's, that's been such a major moment for you kind of recently. You know, walk me through kind of the development of that. Man, it's just uh, me loving lemon pepper wings to a point where I wanted to own a franchise just so, you know, I could, you know, pull up to the franchise with my homies with a date. And I, you know, walk in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I need? You know what I need? Woo, 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 woo. Ten piece off flats. You know what I'm saying? The corn. Give me the French fries with the cheese on it, lemonade. And um, to where I realized a year or two had done went by and we was winning, you know, which was something I never anticipated. And, you know, my team, my sister, my mother, shit, let's get some more. And we looked up and, man, I don't even know how many franchises we own at this current time, but this experience, that's why I make sure I put it in the music. I want youngsters to know that even if you was like me that was sitting in the back of the class being a jackass, I was cracking the jokes and not just because I wanted to, but because I never knew the answers to those math questions. I never knew how A equals X or E equals the other signs and all that shit. Thank God I've never had to use that once in my life. You feel me? Day. Still to this day, I feel like I should have maybe attended a school where they taught me everything on film. Mm. The communicating with the teachers maybe wasn't the best for me, but I think if they had the colorful films, I may have got that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, like if you had virtual classes back then. Yeah, that would have been dope. Mm. Um, you know, film is a, is a big thing for you. It sounds like, you know, one of the ideas you had with the boxing gym that you found was to think about, you know, a film studio. 
talk to me about, you know, what that means to you and kind of how that creative pursuit kind of developed for you. Well, I'm extremely confident that I will write, um, play a major role in directing a film that will be a huge success. Mm. Uh, and I'm extremely confident and it's just, it's all about timing. Me having the right editor. I feel like I will reach out to a friend of mine named, you know, maybe F. Gary Gray. Or, you know, it's a few others that, you know, understand my my creativity and I'm in a position where we could, we could make it happen. We could finance it ourselves. And, you know, great films to me really only have four or five major scenes. When I think about Full Metal Jacket, you know, those films really only have four or five incredible scenes. And, you know, it's just, it's just something that I feel it's going to come to fruition. Mm. It's going to happen. Now, have you always been drawn to film? I've always loved film. Always. You know, I've, I've always been a huge fan. That's how my, my record ended up on the soundtrack of the Django. I was actually on the film set mm. as, as Quentin Tarantino was uh, sitting on the crane filming the actual scene. I was, you know, standing right next to him and I started harmonizing different shit. And that's how the Hunted Casket record ended up on the, on the soundtrack. But I love being on the sets. I love, you know, just, just, just learning, watching. I'm still a student, but it's going to happen. Very cool. Very cool. You know, so you have the book coming out in, in the next few weeks and you got the album that you, you're kind of preparing. You know, is there anything else that people could look forward to? Oh, uh, man, I'm excited about the Feed the Streets tour. Mm. Rick Ross, Gucci Mane, um, Yo Gotti, T.I., uh, 2 Chains. Um, and the list goes on, you know, as well as, uh, you know, just the Empire, Double MG. I'm still excited about, like you said, Wingstop. We launching Thigh Stop during the, you know, during the pandemic and all the other brands. And it's, it's you know, it's real positive. Very cool. Very cool. Um, you know, we got a few minutes left. I'm trying to see if there's anything uh, I should touch on. Oh, you know, you talk about the 48 Laws of Power and, and Robert Greene in general. I think you talk about two of his books. You know, how did you how did you come to start reading those? Oh, I read, uh, I had homeboys that was in the penitentiary. My close friend, Jabal, that was actually my, my closest friend. And then when he came home from the federal penitentiary, he had such a fucking amazing book collection. I'm talking about books from, from A to Z. And 48 Laws was just one of them. And it had became, a few years later, you know, a topic of discussion, discussion amongst, you know, other young Black brothers. So, um, you know, that was just one of them. And then uh, I actually got to meet, sit down, and I interviewed Robert Greene for some content I'm going to release soon. So, Oh, wow. Right. So you, you'll be doing the interviewing this time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm actually sitting down. We both kind of asking each other different questions, which came from us uh, on Twitter, on Instagram, going back and forth, mm. different things. We would, uh, I would debate, I would question. I had a few questions and uh, I think he enjoyed it. Very cool, very cool. I mean, yeah, that's something you mentioned a lot. You know, you, you seem to engage with people when they ask you questions. Why not? <laughs> Why not? That's what we do it for, you know what I'm saying? You know, that's why I still don't mind flying commercial because I don't have a problem with, you know, the Rose, they can I have a picture. Rose, let me ask you about this. That's actually cool. Let me see what kind of shoes you got on. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know what I'm saying? 
And that's our show for today. Thanks so much to Jeffy Haza for doing that interview and to Rick Ross for being interviewed. And we'll be back next week here on SiriusXM Volume Channel 106. And in the meantime, we are a podcast. Download us as a podcast. Subscribe to us as a podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a nice review on Apple Podcasts if you can. But as always, thanks for listening, and we will see you next week. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was a three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.